Again, we'll be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and, and exiles to, abse- to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, church. It's good to be with you guys uh, in person. And for those of you that are gathering online, as Steve said, my name is Justin. And uh, man, it's just a blessing to be here, to spend time with you. We pray for you guys often. As Steve says, our church uh, supports you guys financially, which is a joy and pleasure for us. Our church is about eight years old, so to be able to come alongside of you guys uh, and help you get off the ground as you're preaching and proclaiming Christ here in Arlington is just a, a joy for us. And you have a great uh, pastor here who deeply loves Jesus and loves the church, loves you guys. So it's just a, a joy to be even give Steve a little break tonight uh, to spend time with you as he labors so faithfully week in and week out. Um, let's dive into to First Peter. You know, you and I, we live in a, a word-based world. We find words and, uh, and ideas as being powerful tools of information and influence in our world. And we can look back over history at various points in time and see how speeches and things that have been written continue to have an impact on our world and on our culture. Maybe think of things like Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech or his letter from Birmingham jail. Things that continue, people go back to and are still impacted and influenced by those things. Or Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. Those are big speeches and letters, but sometimes it's little quotes and phrases that people mention from time to time that stick with us as well. Maybe you've heard this one before. In this world, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Or the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Or for the baseball fans out there, it ain't over till it's over. Or maybe you've heard this, uh, this one that's been attributed to Oliver Wendell Holmes, senior, famous 19th century physician, writer, and poet from Boston. He said this, he said, some people are so heavenly minded, they are of no earthly good. Some people are so heavenly minded, they are no earthly good. What's Holmes trying to say here? Simply this, that he believed that there are some followers of Jesus that's head and heart was so fixed on eternity, so fixed on heaven and being with Christ, they really were essentially kind of worthless here on earth. They, they didn't care about anybody else. They didn't do anything good while they're here. Well, is that, is that true? Is Holmes right? And we see in scripture in places like Revelation chapter 11, this glorious truth that one day the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of God. When Jesus returns to rule and reign, we just sang about this, this longing for Christ to come again, when there'll be no more sin and no more suffering and no more death and no more separation from God because Jesus will reign and he will make all things new. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, we look forward to that and hope. We look forward to seeing Christ coming in. We look forward to the day where there's no more suffering and sin in our life. That is a future grace of future glory that we should long for. So is Holmes right? As followers of Christ, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, is the life that you're called to live one that is so set on future glory, so set on heaven, that you're essentially worthless here in our world now? You guys have been in this series in 1 Peter now for a bit. And one of the overarching themes that comes up in 1 Peter is Peter's writing to a group of people who find themselves 
in difficult situation. And they're trying to figure out how do I live life as a follower of Jesus in the midst of a world that's set against him? How am I supposed to live in following Christ in a world that's set against Jesus and his kingdom? Well, last week, the, the section that you guys spent time in was really talking about the fact that God has called us together as a people, what it means to be the church, to be the people of God. Well, in our text today, we really begin to see Peter kind of pivot now to talking about, in a very practical way, how we're supposed to live in this world. And what we'll see in this text is that Holmes misses the whole entire point of the Christian life. It isn't that we're so heavenly-minded that we're of no earthly good. It's that you and I, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, we're a part of the kingdom of God. We're citizens of his kingdom. And now we're striving to follow our king. We're striving to follow King Jesus. Which means that the life that you and I are called to live now in this world is one where we are so heavenly-minded that we are of great earthly good. Great earthly good. So my hope for us tonight as we dive into this two verses in 1 Peter is that God would, by His Spirit, empower us and cultivate within us a a zealousness for good works. That we'd want to do good. We'd strive to spread the word of our King and the influence of His kingdom to anyone and everyone we find ourselves in contact with, with among our neighbors and the nations until Jesus comes again or calls us home. So before we dive into that, I just want to take a minute and pray as well. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time we have together tonight. Would you be exalted? Would you be glorified tonight? We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would allow us to be attentive to what you would want to communicate to us, to challenge us and encourage us as we seek to be faithful. God, I pray for those that might be here or watching that don't yet know you, that are just checking out who you are. Would you give them a great and grand vision of your grace in Christ? Help all of us to fix our eyes on Jesus now as we seek to walk with him faithfully in the world you have us in. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week in the verses that you guys were in last week, Peter encouraged us by reminding us of something. That once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this mercy, this welcoming you into the family of God, It is when God brings you into relationship with him, he doesn't just invite you to the edge of his kingdom, right? He's not like, oh, you can kind of squeak in into the gate and just kind of hang out there. No, he invites you to his table to be a part of his family, to be brothers and sisters together with the Father. But being welcomed into the family of God comes by way of the cross. We could go to a text like Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and see the fact that when Jesus comes and he goes to the cross, he goes to bear the weight of all of your sin and all of your shame. But in doing that, he rescues you out of something. He pulls you out of the kingdom of darkness. He, he transfers you to the kingdom, his kingdom, a kingdom of light and a kingdom of life. We're called to follow Jesus in that. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we're called out of darkness into his marvelous light, right? We're called now to proclaim those things, this reality that once you were over here, but God has yanked you out of that by his grace and transferred you into the kingdom of his son. This means that if you are in Christ, if you have a relationship with Jesus, everything has changed for you. You have a new identity now. You're not the same as who you used to be. Your citizenship has changed from being in the kingdom of darkness to being a citizen in the kingdom of God, this new kingdom. And it's because of your new identity as a citizen of this new kingdom that Peter gives the exhortation he does in verses 11 and 12. He begins by saying, 
In verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. I urge you as sojourners and exiles. Now, Peter's saying, I urge you here. This is not a, a suggestion for him. He's not making this as a recommendation on how you might consider living your life. No, Peter's imploring his audience. He's imploring us as followers of Jesus to do what he's about to say. But what he's about to call us to, the action, this exhortation, this command that he's giving us, is rooted in the reality of your identity. If you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, if you've placed all of your hope and trust and faith in Christ, that also makes you then a sojourner in exile here and now. It makes you a sojourner in exile. So what is that? What is a sojourner and an exile? The basic definition for these words is essentially the same. It's talking about someone who finds themselves living in a place that isn't their home. A place that they're not from, kind of their true home, a temporary resident in a foreign land. I mean, how many of you have ever traveled to a foreign country before? Maybe some of you are from a foreign country. Maybe America is not home for you. Anybody? Anybody? A few people? All right. When you're in a place that isn't your home, when you arrive in that place or you spend time there for a while, a a foreign place, you're very aware that things are different. Right, You notice the difference in culture, the difference in language, the difference in food, the difference sometimes in values, smells. All of those things kind of come to the forefront of your mind. But if you're in a place for a while, one of the things that we can start to want to do is not to stick out. We want to blend into this new culture, this new place. We don't want to be too different. What Peter's saying here is, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to blend into everybody around you. I don't want you to look like everybody around you. I want you to remember that you are a sojourner here. I want you to remember that you're an exile in this place. See, God's people have been exiles at different points in their history. You can look back in the Old Testament and see different moments where God's people were sojourning or where they were exiled. But most of the time, the reason they were in that place was because of their rebellion, because of their sin, because of their disobedience to God. But here, that's not what Peter's saying. He's saying you are a sojourner in exile here for the exact opposite of that, because God's rescued you out of all of those things. He's changed you. He's transferred you into his kingdom. You've been rescued into this new place of this new people. Remember, you once were not a people, but now you're God's people. But in the midst of calling us to that, reminding us, I urge you as sojourners in exiles, He knows there's a temptation that all of us can have, a tendency that all of us can have, and that's the tendency to conform to culture, the tendency to conform to the world we find ourselves in, to try and blend in. And I would say as followers of Jesus, that's especially true when it gets difficult to follow Jesus in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in the world you find yourselves in. But he's reminding you here, you've been rescued out of that. And because you've been rescued out of your sin, because you've been made alive in Christ, you are now a sojourner in exile in this place. This place is not your home and this place is not your hope. It's not your home and it's not your hope. See, what Peter is calling us to is to see that because you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, because you are a sojourner in exile, then now we should live differently We should live differently in this place God has us in. But that's where we can struggle. We can struggle to do this. We can find ourselves tempted towards kind of two extremes. We can find ourselves tempted to be indistinguishable from the world or completely isolated from it. 
to be indistinguishable from the world or isolated from it. And it's because of that that he gives this twofold exhortation. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to, one, abstain from the passions of the flesh, and two, keep your conduct among Gentiles or non-believers honorable. So let's look at both of those. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, we see in verse 11. Now the passions of the flesh are anything and kind of includes all desires and appetites, even good ones that have been hijacked by sin. So you may have a good desire within you, but sin comes along and it taints your thinking and your living and your desires, and it takes control to make it all about you and what's good for you, not what's honoring to God. It's seeking to feed your flesh in a way that's contrary to your new nature, that's contrary to the good commands of your king. What he's saying is, is because this is not your home, because you are now a sojourner and exile, a citizen of the kingdom of God, don't go back to your old way of living. Don't go back to that. Don't follow the desires of your flesh anymore and the enticements and the empty promises that the world gives to you. What he's saying is, don't become indistinguishable from the world around you. You shouldn't look like everybody else and act like everybody else. Why is that? Because these passions of the flesh, they wage war against your soul. See, the kingdom of this world, it's constantly beckoning you to come back. It's beckoning you to come back and to participate and join in. But it's all chasing after the wind. It's all hollow and empty. There's no hope in what the world offers. There's no life in it. It's a siren tune that lures you in all the while making you unaware of the rocks that will completely dash you to pieces. See, Peter's saying, wake up! Church, wake up! Don't be deceived. Don't be unaware that the ways of this world will not lead to life, but only to death. The passions of your flesh, they're not just seeking to recapture you, they're seeking to defeat you and destroy you. Don't be taken captive. They're waging war against your very soul. Remember who you are. See, as sojourners and exiles, we have to remember our new identity in Christ. He is our only hope in life and death. That even though sin will continue to seek to assert itself in your life and pull you back in to re-enslave you, in Christ, the power of sin has been broken. You are no longer captive to it. You've been set free. You can say no to it now by the power of the Spirit. Now, one of the best ways for us to do this, to not be drawn back into the ways of the world, to guard our hearts and minds and souls against the passions of the flesh, is to not conform to the patterns of the world, but see our minds renewed and transformed, like Romans 12 says. This means as sojourners and exiles that we don't get our understanding on how to live life in this world from the culture around us. We don't get our understanding of how to live in this present age from the world around us as citizens of the kingdom of God, as sojourners and exiles. We don't take our cues from the world, but from our king. We listen to Jesus and what he has to say to us and call us to. So let me ask you a question. In your life right now, are you striving to be informed and influenced on how you think and how you live more by Jesus and his word or something like CNN? or Fox News, or social media posts? What's the biggest influencer in your life now when you think about how you're living? Let me encourage you. 
to spend time on a daily basis meditating and immersing yourself in God's Word, allowing that to be what guides you and guards you as you seek to live in this world right now. Now, I don't know everybody's story and backgrounds and time. I know sometimes we can feel like, man, I don't have a lot of time. I have four kids. And so my wife at times is like, I can hardly, I hardly feel like I have any time that's quiet at any moment to read my Bible at all. If that's you, like just grab onto a verse. Just start there. Hide something of God's word in your heart and your mind before you go engage the day. Allow your heart and mind to be impacted and changed by that. So what are those things for you? What are the things that are seeking to wage war against your soul right now? Where's the battle in your life taking place? In your heart, in your mind? Think about that this week. Take time to meditate on that. And whether you already know and follow Jesus, or maybe you're just checking out who Jesus is, my encouragement to you when you figure out what those things are is the same. Throw yourself on Christ. Look to Jesus again. Come out of the darkness and come to Jesus. Repent and turn to Him. Whether that's for the very first time in your life. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus before. Or whether it's for the thousandth time. Come back to Christ. The things of this world are not worth destroying your soul over. They're not worth it. As kingdom citizens, as sojourners and exiles, Peter is calling us to abstain from the passions of the flesh while we find ourselves in this world. So then, does that mean that what we should do is remove ourselves out of the world? Like, okay, I don't want to be indistinguishable from the world, so maybe I should isolate from it. That would be the best thing that I could do. Just kind of, kind of circle up the wagons in my life or in community and just try to keep the world out. Is that what we're supposed to do now? Should we isolate ourselves? And Peter tells us the answer in the next verse, and for some of us, I think this can be more challenging even than the first exhortation. As sojourners and exiles, you should also, look at verse 12, you should also keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What's Peter saying here? What Peter's telling us to do is keep your everyday, ordinary living honorable and intentional. Your conduct at work or wherever you go and hang out with people when we used to be able to hang out with people. Or when you're on the Beltway or you're driving down 66 or on the Metro, whatever it happens to be. When you're spending time on the internet or you're in your neighborhood or at a kid's baseball game, at the store with your friends. All those ordinary kind of mundane things apart, that are a part of your life, keep those things honorable And be intentional with them. Be respectable and above reproach. Do praiseworthy things. Do good for others in the midst of that place and those things. Because see, Peter says, don't, he doesn't want want you to do this just for your sake. He isn't saying this is just going to be good for you. It certainly would be for walking in obedience to Christ. But he doesn't want you to just to do this for your sake. He wants you to do so in a specific context with a very specific audience in mind. Who? He says the Gentiles. That's a a way, a shorthand for saying non-believers. Someone who doesn't yet know and follow Jesus. I love the way that the New Living Translation translates this first part of verse 12. The New Living Translation says this, Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. See, your life and your deeds, your words and your actions... They reflect the faith that you claim and the king that you follow. They reflect the faith you claim and the king you follow. And so Peter's telling you, pay attention then to how you live. 
in your community, in your workplace, in this world. Pay attention to how you live as a representative of the kingdom of God. Now, if you do this, if we take this seriously, we want to walk in obedience to this, it doesn't mean your life's going to be easy. The life of a sojourner in exile is often challenging and often difficult. The culture we find ourselves in is going to seek to continue to malign and marginalize followers of Jesus. That's not going to go away. It's only going to increase. But if that happens, if our world around us is going to marginalize you, let it be for following Jesus. Don't be offensive in and of yourself. Let the gospel be the thing that's offensive. See, notice Peter doesn't tell you, okay, here's what I want you to do as you find yourself in the world. I want you to go and defend your morality before the world. Ah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to expect morality from everybody around you who doesn't yet know Christ. No, what Peter calls us to is to pursue holiness, as you've seen earlier in 1 Peter. He calls you to live lives of virtue and goodness around and among a watching world, doing good works for those around you. Because how you live your life, not just what you say with your, with your mouth, but how you live your life will back up what you say you believe. It will show your neighbors if your hope really is in Jesus and in his kingdom. We should be prepared as followers of Christ for attacks on our faith. We should be prepared as followers of Jesus for, for attacks on our character. Even people, Peter says, will call us evildoers. But we should live in a way that completely invalidates that. That completely obliterates that claim. A guy in our church just told me recently that he got turned down for a job in a new place, because someone found something he had said online one time and didn't like it. And I just said to him, I said, brother, what you said wasn't wrong or mean or offensive. They just, they saw your faith in Christ and didn't like that. And that's why you didn't get this job. You're not an evildoer, but they're calling you one. They're calling you that. But his life obliterates that fact. He is seeking to follow Jesus. Let that be true for all of us, that our lives and how we live and what we say that if anybody makes a claim, a negative claim on our life, what would invalidate that would be our transformed life. That it'd be undeniable that Jesus has changed us. Undeniable that he's king. May our lives be soaked in the grace of the gospel. And here's the amazing thing when we seek to do that. When we seek to live in this way among your neighbors, when they see your good deeds, as you seek to follow Christ and glorify God, repenting and believing the good news of the gospel, they also might repent and believe. That he says here, your kingdom living can actually lead to your neighbor's salvation. Man, what an amazing thing that would be and how that would take place if we saw that happen in lives around us. You are being watched and evaluated and judged by the world. Is it clear that you are living for a different purpose? Is it clear that you're living for a different kingdom? Is it clear that Jesus alone is your king, your only hope? in life and death. See, as citizens of this kingdom of God, as as sojourners and exiles in this place, you and I are called to spread the word of the king and the influence of the kingdom. We are to be so heavenly minded, so heavenly minded that we are of great earthly good to those around us. See, what Peter is is calling us to here is what Jesus modeled for us that we see in the Gospels, what he prayed for us in John 17, that we would be in the world, but not of the world. That we'd find ourselves being in the world, but not of the world. If you've read the Gospel accounts of Christ, you know that one of the things that Jesus was often called 
was a drunkard and a glutton. People said, oh, Jesus, he's just a drunkard and a glutton. Why was that? It wasn't because Jesus was drinking in excess or eating too much food. It's because that's who he hung out with. He spent time with drunkards and gluttons. Jesus spent time with sinners and sufferers. So people associated him with that. But you know that that insult that was thrown at Jesus, that he was a drunkard and a glutton, it wasn't made by people who didn't yet know Jesus. It was made by the religious elite. Those that thought the best thing we could possibly do is remove ourselves from the world and isolate completely. See, Jesus shows us it's possible to be in the world and keep following Jesus. To be in the world, but not of it. You can live among your neighbors and continue to obey your king. So what does that look like practically for us? How are we actually supposed to live this out in our life? You know, one of the best examples that I think that we see in scriptures in Jeremiah chapter 29. In Jeremiah chapter 29, a lot of us know verse 11. It's on you know, signatures on emails and coffee cups and t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. But the context of Jeremiah chapter 29 is God's people are in exile. They've been removed from their place. And there's this false prophet that comes along and he says, hey guys, don't unpack your bags. You're not going to be here for very long. Like just circle up, hang out. We're going to get out of this place. But then Jeremiah comes along, who's a true prophet of the Lord and says, that guy's wrong. Here's what's going to happen. You are going to be here for a while, a really long while. I don't, I don't only want you to unpack your bags, you should do that, but I want you to plant gardens and build houses and give your kids away in marriage, and I want you to do good for the welfare of the city that you find yourself in. This city that pursues a false god that's not following after the one true God. Jeremiah says, I want you to do good in the place you find yourself in. Get involved. Don't isolate. See, as kingdom citizens, we need to be present and active in the world we find ourselves in to do good in it, but not in order for us to build some kind of utopia here and now. I think we see that in culture right now, that the people desire to create a perfect world, a comfortable world. No, we seek to do good here and now because our king calls us to. We know this place is not our hope. We know this place is not our home, but Jesus calls us to be merciful to those around us. Blessed are the merciful, he says in Matthew chapter 5. Now, We are in a highly political time right now, coming off the election. Things are tense right now. We live in kind of the the center of all of that in the D.C. metro area. But if we are striving to live this way, what that means is that we should strive to live lives that are governed not by a particular political platform. You and I as sojourners and exiles, as citizens of the kingdom of God, should strive to live lives that are governed by the wisdom and the ethics and the hope of the kingdom of God by King Jesus. And when you live like this, as a sojourner in exile, when you strive to follow the king and bring the word and the influence of the kingdom, you live in such a way that will actually confound the political left and the political right. That someone who's hard on the political left will look at things that you do and say, yeah, I I agree with you, that's great, but wait, you also believe this and do these things? And someone on the political right will say the exact same thing. "I, I like that you are for this, but why are you also for that? Well, not because you tell me, because Jesus tells me, because his word informs me. I should care about life from womb to the tomb. I should care about the environment and the world that God's created. I should care about issues of justice and injustice. I should care that we should treat all people, no matter what they look like or where they're from, with dignity and respect, because every single person is made in the image of God. I don't care about that because it's on some website. I care about it because Jesus calls me to it. 
That's why how I want to live. That's how we're called to live. So listen, in this world we find ourselves in right now, if you find yourself feeling politically homeless, that's okay. I'd say it's even a good thing. That we shouldn't find ourselves trying to fit nicely into any particular political party or cultural category. If you are living as a sojourner in exile, that's what we're called to do. That's what it means to be that. To be a sojourner in exile, you're ruled by a different king and a different kingdom. See, instead, we have to remember that as these people who are in this place that isn't our home, you will never fully align with anything in this present age. And that's okay. Because your king and his kingdom are far better and far greater. Brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in a world that's in turmoil right now. And we have an opportunity to speak into that, into the midst of these tumultuous times. We have an opportunity to be a beacon of light, a beacon of light and hope in a dark and polarized culture. Not by offering platitudes or social media posts, but by speaking of our king and bringing the influence of his kingdom. The one who lived and died and rose again for us. But to do that, you can't isolate from the world around you. You can't pull back and circle up the wagons. See, something I think we might miss in this text is that this text assumes something about your life. It assumes something. It assumes that you're actually living life among people who don't yet know Jesus and actually engaging with them, real people in real life. So I think one of the most practical ways that you and I can seek to live this out, to be good neighbors to those around us is actually to do that that we would be great neighbors to our actual neighbors, great co-workers to our actual co-workers. In the past, Amy, my wife and I, we didn't really do a good job of doing this. We were busy with life and we weren't really trying to get to know our neighbors and for a lot of different reasons, again, busyness or sometimes just kind of feeling intimidated by it or we were doing lots of church things but not really spending a whole lot of time with the people that God had placed us around But then by God's grace, we realized something by his spirit and by his people that Jesus hung out with sinners. He hung out with people who weren't seeking him, who weren't really looking for him. He came to seek and to save the lost. And I want to follow my king, but in this particular area of my life, I wasn't doing that. I wasn't really seeking to do that. And so that led us to make some intentional changes to where we live and how we live. It's one of the reasons we planted a church in Fairfax eight years ago, and one of the reasons we live in the midst of the city of Fairfax. We really wanted to do this intentionally so that we could actually get to know people around us, build real relationships with our neighbors, and love them well, and talk to them about our king and his kingdom. So over the last several years, we've tried to do that. We've had people over to our home for meals, and we've served good food, and served good drink, and spent time with them. We've sought to hang out outside, even in this weird season that we're in right now, where we're maybe not as comfortable having people inside, we can still get outside and we can engage people in conversation. We've talked about life with our neighbors, and God's done some awesome things in that. We've had opportunities to serve our neighbors. They've served us. We've had opportunities to pray with our neighbors and pray for them. We've had opportunities to share the gospel with them. We've been encouraged by them, and we've encouraged them. We've sought to talk about our King and bring the influence of our kingdom, of his kingdom, among them. And just living honestly, authentically before them. Not acting like everything's okay all the time. They see us with our kids. We're not perfect parents, and neither are our kids. They're not perfect kids. And we just live life among our neighbors, but with our hope in King Jesus. 
We strive to display lives that reflect the good news of the gospel. We're involved in our wider community, coaching baseball, hanging out with people that live around us. Now, do we get it perfect? No. Could we be more purposeful, engage more purposefully at times? Absolutely. Are there times when we want to isolate? We're like, man, I'm kind of tired of this. This is exhausting. Yes, of course. But we keep striving to live among them for the sake of sowing the seed of the kingdom of God until our king comes again. And that's what I want for you too, for all of us. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, I want you to live lives with people around you that you live near or that you work with. I want you to know them, not just their names, but actually details about their lives, like actually enter into the mess of life. Together, I want us to be sojourners who are in real relationships with real people who are in a real need to know our King and be brought into His kingdom. Now, if you aren't doing that right now, if you kind of look at your life and think about what you spend your time doing or who you spend time with the most, if you don't know your neighbors, maybe you don't even know their names or don't know much about them, I just want you to take some time this week to, to answer the question, why? Why don't I? Why am I not engaging them in this way? Maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's past attempts that have failed. Maybe there's uncertainty or for some of us, just apathy and laziness that we get too caught up in our own lives. Whatever it is for you, let me encourage you to do two things, to pray for help and to remember your identity. Pray for God's help. Pray for his grace and remember who you are in Christ. Live as a sojourner in exile in the place that God has placed you. I love in Acts 17, Paul says that God has established the time and place in which you find yourself. That means that you're at the job you're at right now because that's where God would have you be. You're at the school you're at right now because that's where God would have you be. You live in the apartment or neighborhood you are right now because that's where God ordained you to be. You are one of the most important people in your neighborhood. You're one of the most important people in your workplace because you have the best news in all the world that all of your neighbors need to know. As a sojourner in exile, you're also an ambassador for King Jesus. Listen, your neighbors and your coworkers, they're going to talk about you. They're going to talk about you, sometimes behind your back. They maybe even say wrong or hurtful things about you. But listen to me, on the last day, on the last day when all of us stand before the judgment seat of Christ, let one of the things they say about you is that you told them about King Jesus. You told them about Jesus. This takes time and effort. Sometimes it's really hard. It's difficult. But it's what your king calls you to, and he gives you grace to do it. So if you're going to be a sojourner in exile that abstains from the passions of the flesh, but lives well among your neighbors, make a plan and take a step. Take a step. Maybe just start, for some of us, just walking around your neighborhood praying for your neighbors or your workplace, praying for people by name. I mean, what might God do in us and through us if we really sought to live this way? What might he do if we just started to live lives as sojourners and exiles, kingdom citizens among our neighbors seriously? Might he bring revival in this place and spiritual awakening to those around you who are in desperate need of redemption and restoration and rescue? If we just started to say, God, help me to be who you've called me to be, to be okay, not fitting in, but we have the best news in all the world. What might God do if we actually started to do this and took it seriously? Our world is full of bad news. We can put on any website, social media, the news, turn it on. It's just bad news after bad news after bad news. What if we actually sought to share good news that our neighbors start to think, that actually sounds really good. 
Man, I, I, I want that. I need that. You have hope. You have peace. What might God do if we took this seriously? This is a significant time in the history of our country. That is for sure. But it is a blip on the screen in light of eternity. It is a blip on the screen in light of the reality of the kingdom of God. So brothers and sisters, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart in the midst of the difficulty. But live like a sojourner in an exile. Live unstained from this world and in such a way among your neighbors that compels them to glorify the king when he comes again to make all things new. Brothers and sisters, may we be so heavenly minded with our eyes so set on Christ that we do great earthly good. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for making a way for us to be redeemed, that you sought us out in our foolishness and in our sin, and you shined the light of the glory of Christ so we might see you and trust in Jesus. God, would you help us now by your Spirit to be who you've called us to be? Help us not to be indistinguishable from the world or isolated from it, but to be in the world, not of it. Forgive us for God where we haven't done that. Would you do a mighty work in us and through us? Bring revival, bring spiritual awakening to Arlington. God, would you save people around us right now and use us? Give us the privilege, God, to see people cross from death to life. Empower us by your spirit to spread the word of the king and the influence of the kingdom and to be okay finding ourselves in a place that we don't quite fit. Help us to be okay being sojourners and exiles for your, good, for your glory, for our good, and for the good of others. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.